Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights. This is a listener question episode, Beckett at gmail.com. Thanks, sponsors, Topps Panini and Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Huckett Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, Compsy.com, and Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. So first question from Daniel Wilson, uh, talking about the uh, card wall video, especially the one that was uh, Boggs to Bork, Ray Bork from Wade Boggs. The main thing, Scott Boris, minor league card was in there, and I've, I got several comments about that, that they didn't know that he'd been a player. In fact, that's how he got to be a super agent, is that he realized it's hard to make the big time. So it's amazing to me that Scott Boris wound up being the preeminent baseball agent where he's dealing with the most highly paid guys. And uh, you'd think there'd be a trickle down, but sometimes it has the opposite effect, that there's no money left for the merely good players, that the the best players in every sport get a, a huge amount of the uh, salary cap. And then he mentions the $4 price tag that was stuck on the back of my Lou Boudreaux autograph. Again, you just have to see that. <laughs> you can see it. It's, but he said, you, I'm so glad you left it on. Daniel, I didn't leave it on. I didn't see it. I forgot about it. I, I'm sure I knew about it back in the day. I remember that we had some of those. But I erroneously thought, I think, deep down, I erroneously thought that BGS would, quote-unquote, improve my cards when I submitted them for grading. And even though I have the same last name, I think I sent in the cards, and if they had wax residue on the front that could easily be removed, or this little tiny sticker on the back, which could easily be removed, they apparently were treating me the same as everybody else. And that is you submit the card, you get the grade of the card as it's submitted, not that they applied any spit and polish or taking things off. I guess enough said. I've learned now. Second question was from Brett, the son of Bruce, the now deceased Bruce and Benita. Uh, we did a tribute to Bruce back a couple years ago, a longtime national dealer and one of the founders of the Chicago Collecting Association. And so Brett was talking about how he learned a lot. It was just a heartfelt letter. Again, Rich and I did that tribute couple years ago, that's his dad. Uh, he learned about being fair and honest at the card shows because you don't learn from your parents by the do as I say, not as I do. No, it's do as I say and do as I do. And they will because it's caught, not taught. And so I have no doubt that Brett, you turned out great with a great mom and dad because they said it and they did it and they lived it. And I was a witness. I was there. They were a cheerful aspect of every national and Chicago show that I went to over the years. So it's got to be difficult, Brett and others. If you're going to a show, he's lost his dad and then and Brett lost his brother back 14 or 15 years ago. His brother, Brian, passed away. Brian Painter. Because I just... It's got to be hard. You go, and he was only 21. You go to the national, and if people ask you, "Hey, where's your other son?" or something, it's just got to be very uh, bittersweet to go to these annual events, and then somebody's not there. It could be the wife, the son, the father, the mother, whatever. But it's especially difficult when kids predecease their parents. And Brett had such nice comments to say about his deceased brother, in the sense that when you have two two kids, they don't do everything the same. And so I think he's mentioning that Brian was more into it than he was. And that was fine. And that was fine. He would have been a real force in the hobby if he'd been able to be. And he mentions lastly, and this is my last comment, is if he wanted to, that Brian, the now deceased brother of Brett and son of Bruce and Benita, he would have been a force in the hobby if he wanted to. And not everybody wants to. But if you do want to, I think that's the want to is very important in our hobby. So I believe, if you've listened to these episodes, and Kurt from BHS, the really, I believe it is the greatest hobby, but only if you want it to be. And if you want it to be, I think it certainly qualifies. Question three was from Kerry Rauschendorfer. 
he was listening back to some episodes and mentioning that there were some promotional days back in the, the late 80s where Donruss would issue a little mini binder with four pocket sheets and then Donruss would get some cards from the hometown team. I think Donruss was playing around with some of those things, the other team booklets and all that. Carrie, you're asking if Fanatics is going to consider, Fanatics is going to consider anything that can get product in the hands of the kids. I'm not sure the four card binders are the best way to do it. Being a business owner back in the day, the cost of cards in these kids promotion, I won't say they're negligible, but they can be a lot less than the cost of the binder and the sheets and the shipping and the storage and the leftovers and just the administration of the promotion at the gate or when I go to the Mav, for my season tickets. I'm obviously older than 12. And most of the distribution of t-shirts and, and terrible towels are at your seat already. So they're distributed, not in a rush, but to the afternoon of the game. We made uh, four pocket sheets uh, carry and they were special Beckett binders and Beckett four pocket plastic sheets. We had commission and uh, it just was an awkward size. I think we were stuck with a whole bunch of them. We tried to sell them and uh, we used them for different things. So uh, just the nine pocket thing is just more efficient. Question four from ASMR. In fact, there's several from ASMR people commenting about the video card wall. First one is uh, the Bouton versus uh, all the way up to Brett. And meant to, I was mentioning that my George Brett on the wall might be replaced by the Topps Mini version. And I just would say, yes, it's tougher. And, and he asks about why it's tougher. And uh, it wasn't the stash of an unopened group. I, I think this was a test market that was not that successful. And so there were a lot of leftovers, say, in Michigan. It's one of the places. Over and Michigan is a real hotbed of collecting. But I, I think that the test market was mismarketed. It's tricky because in marketing, if it's commoditized, you, you want it to be uh, sought after as a collectible because it's rare. But they made too many of them. It wasn't that rare in the perception of the Michiganders. <laughs> so then they didn't sell. But then later, an enterprising dealer bought them all up in remainder and then put them out into the hobby gradually. Um, minis are tougher, but they don't look as nice, I don't think, in the BGS holders or anybody's holders. Maybe SGC with the tuxedo treatment. But basically, I think BGS holders look best with a two and a half by three and a half card or two and five eighths three quarters by three and three quarter bigger size it just so i don't know that i'm going to switch asmr people but i will wait and see what happens what the grade is another comment from asmr people on the uh, video wall talking about coach cards and i agree i like to do early cards of players that are going to go up on the wall and so if it's a hall of fame coach and he's got a card that predates his uh, tops card. It might be from a from a team issue, as ASMR people was talking about. I do put it on the wall. I don't know a lot of people that are doing that. It, it used to be zigging when other people were zagging, but I think some people have caught on. Again, some of these uh, are if they're oversized, that's a little bit of a downer for me. But again, he he said these cards are high on the rarity and coolness scale. I totally agree, ASMR people. And last one from ASMR people was. Uh, I'll just quote this. He said, I loved seeing, it's the Marion Campbell card. I, think, I love seeing that 51 Tops Magic card. I consider myself a bit of an expert on the set. At one point, I had the second highest set on the set registry. Okay, that causes me to think that, that he's talking past tense. And so he's claiming bragging rights and justifiable bragging rights for certifiably being the former owner of the second highest set on the set registry. 
And so I thought, wait a minute, do I get credit for sets that I used to have? Do I claim credit for sets that I used to have? And in fact, I think I do. I talk about sets I used to have because that meant I had accomplished the quest. But then in some cases, I cashed it in. I've said I, I cashed in a whole bunch of older sets. I wish I had them now because I was starting the magazines and raising money for that sort of. Question seven. This is from Jason Albrecht talking about how he started collecting in the junk wax era and are we in a junk wax 2.0. But the, the points he draws is that it may be junk wax 2.0, but it, it's intimidating and complicated at the same time because it's more expensive. And if, if it's junk wax, it, it's they aren't junk cards, but there could be some cards that aren't very valuable in there, but there's a bunch of cards in there, one in every pack in many cases, that's slightly better. And if you're not knowledgeable to that, some of the great cards of the last 10 years may no longer exist because they may have been destroyed and thrown out because somebody uh, didn't recognize. In fact, uh, when I look in the dollar boxes, I'm seeing some better cards that have just been passed over. They're just too subtly different. And they're not $100 cards, but they're not junk wax, that's for sure. And so he's worried about a junk wax 2.0 that might be coming. And I, I don't think so. I'm hoping not. I've said I'm a card collector. I'm not a wax box unopened collector. I, I don't want to have a shelf of those. I want to have displays of cards. So I, I hope it's not. What I'd like to see in my perfect world is that the 80-20 rule, that 80% of the people are collectors and 20 predominant collectors and 20% are investors. I think in the junk wax era, it flipped, at least of collectors of new cards. There were 80% of the people were thinking about, hey, how much money I'm going to make? And only 20% were collecting because there were just so many of them. Um, the other thing that's different than then and now is that I think you could make money with, with very little knowledge. You just knew to buy as much as you could, put it away, and you thought it was going to be worth more. Now, there's some of that going on, but at a much higher price point, and it really helps to have more knowledge to know which boxes or cards or players to put away. The days of clearing out all the blasters and flipping them for three, four, five hundred percent markup, I think that's slowed down quite a bit as well. The junk wax boxes, they weren't flipped and flipped as much as they were stored. And then when they came out, people found out that they had not done the math, <laughs> and they realized there's an awful lot of math there. Now, that'd be a lot harder to do now because you've got serial numbering. Okay, last question, number eight from Chris Cantu, who has retinitis pigmentosa, like Rocco Rosado I enjoyed visiting with. And so he sent me an email, but it really was a dictation that's transcribed as there's a lot of voice technology. And so there were some typos in his email, but very intelligible. So it's amazing what the technology can do. And yet I use that same technology of trying to get a transcript and to edit the transcript from these podcasts. And Chris, keep up the great work. I'm glad that you're not seeing those kind of limitations. In fact, I had uh, center stage John Wee. If you have a card and you're blind or almost blind or completely blind, you could take a picture with your phone and then you could have it read off to you what it recognized just by the picture of the card through center stage. He had two questions that I want to address for everybody, because I think they do apply. In fact, he's on disability, he's got a fixed income, so his enjoyment of the hobby at a few hundred bucks a month, I'm just excited that he's enjoying the hobby. And again, I'm saying it's the greatest hobby, and even for a blind person, there he's finding a way. Okay, he's got two two issues. One, he's got seven uncut sheets of some scarce, he's, he's a you know big golf card collector, and he wants to know what it would be, or how he might be able to chop them up. And 
I've dealt with that, Chris. And if somebody has a really good idea on that, they can let me know. But in the final analysis, it's easier to cut 700 than it is to cut seven. It's just almost cost prohibitive. The setup, if you had 700 of the same sheets, they could cut them and actually you could pay somebody to do that. For seven, what they told me was prohibitive back in the day. But I had somebody uh, do that for me as a favor. I didn't ask for the favor. I, I said, how much is it going to cost? And he said, you don't want to know, but I just did it for you. I just ran it through with something else. And I said, thank you very much. He said, thank you. But I didn't want to presume that, but uh, but I can't go back to that either. The people that cut cards for a living know how to do it. And I would really try to go to one of those. So maybe, Chris, that'll work for you. And second was he he had a, a really good card that he wanted to sell. And again, if he's on a fixed income, it'd be nice to be able to sell something. And, you know, he can't see it, but he can still awareness that he had it. And so right now he's got it in the PWCC vault, of which now there are many vaults, including my old companies uh, starting a vault. So there's going to be lots of choices for vaults. And I'm thinking, how cool is that to have a vault if you're blind? that your best cards can go there. They're going to handle it for you. If I had stuff in a vault, whether I'm blind or not, I can see a photo of it, but I, I can't have the card. It's there, and they can take offers. And so, Chris, that's my suggestion. If you've got it at PWCC and you're comfortable with them and pleased with them, they generally have gotten uh, some good prices for people. In fact, you have a choice to say yay or nay if something comes up. So, so I don't have a group of people that tell me to help them uh, find something. If I did, I would say check it out. But I think a lot of people are checking out those vaults, and uh, I hope you sell it, and I hope you get a price that you want. Thanks, Chris, and thanks, everybody. I'll be back again tomorrow with another episode. The man in the house of cards. The man in the house of cards. The man in the house of cards. Is doing all right.